Teaching the value of free thought matters now more than ever. Unfortunately, most institutions take the opposite approach. A few people nowadays actually knows what indoctrination is. Indoctrination involves pushing a certain opinion, but is also much more. It is the comprehensive effort of passively disseminating a particular viewpoint. The passive aspect is key. People who are indoctrinated with a certain narrative or ideology do not arrive at the intended conclusions through their own thinking, but hear the same thing repeated in a million different ways until they finally take it as an unquestionable truth. To start this in-depth analysis of indoctrination, we must look into the past. Part 1. The Attack on Human Thought Indoctrination means teaching someone to accept a set of beliefs without questioning them. The Latin word for teach, doctrina, is the root for indoctrinating. Originally, that's just what it meant. By the 1830s, it meant something different. It came to mean the act of forcing ideas and opinions on someone who isn't allowed to question them. Indoctrination, on the other hand, has result-driven approaches that aims to instill in people a set of habits and beliefs that align with an ideology or political agenda. There's a novel that really embodies indoctrination and much more than that. The novel is called A Brave New World. A Brave New World is a dystopian novel by British author Aldous Huxley, published in 1932. The novel is set in a futuristic world state whose citizens are environmentally engineered into an intelligence-based hierarchy. The novel also anticipates huge scientific advancements such as reproductive technology, sleep learning, psychological manipulation, and classical conditioning that are combined to make a dystopian society which is challenged by only a single individual. Characters are portrayed as being confined to a mold that cannot contain them. They are willing to sacrifice their reputation to experience freedom and take a chance of chance at liberty. Bernard is an example in the book. Bernard, unlike most people in the civilization of a brave new world, has emotions. He wants privacy and monogamy and has the ability to understand beyond the knowledge of everyone else. This is uncommon to act this way in a brave new world. Bernard's conditioning do not work effectively on him. Consequently, he feels trapped in an indoctrinated world. Through his emotions, it is clearly implied that he feels deprived of certain human qualities. This tactic is the higher power manipulating society by feeding the children phrases and motions to create the ideal image of society. Furthermore, in the novel, death conditioning is perceived as a normality. This leads into the past examples of indoctrination. There's two major examples from the past of indoctrination that I will discuss. The first example is the Soviet Union. As most know, the Soviet Union was a closed society which was ruled under through authoritarian principles by a powerful group of elitist. Children in the Soviet Union held a special place in the hearts of citizens and party. They represented not only the innocence of youth, but also the promise of socialist future. In order for the international Marxist revolution to succeed, the youth had to be treated well and educated politically. Communist authorities took many routes to achieve this goal. Primarily, the Communist Party fostered a cult of children, much like Stalin's cult of personality, which idealized Soviet childhood. The Communist Party formalized this cult through youth organizations such as the Cosmo, Young Pioneers, and Young Octoberists. In 1920, Lenin, Lenin's address, entitled The Task of the Youth Leagues, presented before the Third All-Russia Congress of the Russian Young Communist League, Lenin sought to motivate the revolutionary youth of Russia to its necessary tasks and responsibilities, given the general backwardsness of the country. Much, uh, much as Lenin did in, 19, in his 1920 speech to the Cosmo, 
This cult relied on the comparison between true communists, which I'm quoting, children and everyone else. By institutionalizing this reverence for childhood, the Communist Party isolated those children who do not join such groups and were in fact able to create a radical other or class enemy. They forced citizens even entered the workforce. The force of the institutionalization was seen most strongly in the formative years of the Soviet Union and was perfected under Stalin. The effect these groups had is undeniable. The communists created secondary communities for children to align themselves with rather than attach themselves most strongly to their families. Soviet children were taught to prioritize communism above all, and these youth organizations provided the very first encounters with socialism. This had the significant effect of diminishing the role of the family structure, and these groups became the primary outlet for self-expression among Soviet children. Now for the second major example, which would be Nazi Germany. As most know, the National Socialist German Workers' Party, or Nazi Party, grew into a mass movement and moved through Germany through totalitarian means from 1933 to 1945. Under the leadership of Adolf Hitler, founded in 1919 as the German Workers' Party, the group promoted German pride in anti-Semitism and expressed dissatisfaction with the terms of the Treaty of Versailles. But the part of Nazi Germany I'm going to be looking at in-depthly is the education of the youth. Adolf Hitler in 1938 says, These boys and girls enter our organization at the age of 10, and often for the first time get a little fresh air. After four years of the young folk, they go on to the Hitler Youth, where we have them for another four years. And even if they, st if they still have not become a complete national socialist, they go to labor service and are smoothed out there for another six, seven months and whatever class consciousness or social status might still be left, the German armed forces will take care of that. From the 1920s onward, the Nazi party targeted German youth as a special audience for its propaganda messages. These messages em emphasized that the party was a movement of the youth, dynamic, resilient, forward-looking, and hopeful. Millions of German German young people were won over to Nazism in the classroom and through extracurricular activities. In January 1933, the Hitler Youth had only 50,000 members, but by the end of that year, this figure had increased to more than 2 million. By 1936, membership in the Hitler Youth increased to 5.4 million. It became mandatory in 1939. The German authorities then prohibited or dissolved competing youth organizations. Education in the Third Reich served to indoctrinate students with the National Socialist worldview. Nazi scholars and educators glorified Nordic or other Aryan races, while labeling Jews and other so-called inferior races to, as parasitic, or what I'm quoting here, bastard race, races, incapable of creating culture or civilization. Education in Nazi Germany. After 1933, the Nazi regime purged the public school system of teachers and demanded teachers deemed to be Jews or to be politically unreliable. Most educators, however, remained in their posts and joined the National Socialist Teachers League, in which 97% of all public school teachers, some 300,000 persons, had joined the league by 1936. In fact, teachers joined the Nazi party in greater numbers than any other profession. In the classroom and in the Hitler Youth, instruction aimed to produce race-conscious, obedient, and self-sacrificing Germans 
who would be willing to die for the Fuhrer and the Fatherland devotion to Adolf Hitler, which was a key element of the Hitler Youth training. German youth celebrated his birthday, which is April 3rd, 20th, as a national holiday. For membership induction, German adolescents swore allegiance to Hitler and pledged to serve the nation and its leaders and its leader as future soldiers. Schools played an important role in spreading Nazi ideas to German youth. Well, censors removed some books from the classroom. German educators introduced new textbooks that taught students love for Hitler, obedience to the state authority, militarism, racism, and anti-Semitism. Upon reaching the age of 18, boys were required to enlist immediately in the armed forces or into the Reich labor force, labor service, for which their activities in the Hitler Youth had prepared them for this day. Propaganda materials called for e even more fanatic devotion to the Nazi ideology, even as the German military suffered from defeat after defeat. In autumn of 1944, as Allied armies crossed the borders into Germany, the Nazi regime conscripted German youth under 16 to defend the Reich, alongside with seniors over the age of 60. And these units were called the Volkssturm, or People's Assault. After the unconditional surrender of German armed forces in May 1945, some German boys continued to fight in guerrilla groups known as werewolves. During the following year, Allied occupation authorities required the young Germans to undergo a denazification process and training in democracies designed to counter the effects of 12 years of Nazi regime and Nazi propaganda. This concludes the examples past of indoctrination. Part 2 will cover modern applications of indoctrination and its roots, and also its philosophical meaning. Thank you guys, and see you next time.